Support for Oyster World Radio comes from you, our listeners. If you would like to support the show, visit the link in the show description or visit patreon.com forward slash Oyster World Radio. For only $5 a month, you get all of the behind-the-scenes coverage of how these random interviews materialize, plus some travel tips. So don't miss out and support the show today. More support means meeting more people that you would normally never meet, less travel headaches while you're on the road, and you get to learn the ins and outs of everywhere I go. Become a Patreon and an expert traveler at patreon.com forward slash Oyster World Radio and support the show today. Welcome to Oyster World. Radio. Hello, Oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World Radio, the podcast where you broaden our perspectives by listening to the stories of people from all over the globe. I'm Nathan Lieberman, and this episode is the second of a four-part series on the apartheid of South Africa. Today, we get to talk to Richard Maletze, who shares his perspective of the black side of the fence. Richard grew up in Soweto, the most famous of the Johannesburg townships, and was present during the 1976 uprisings that began as a peaceful march against the switch of all classes in school for the black community to a new language, Afrikaans. Even if the teachers didn't know the language fluently, let alone the students. What came after was what the history books call black consciousness, and was when the black community began to see what was really happening and started asking questions. These questions about their current reality sparked the events that eventually led to the fall of the apartheid government. And Richard was there through all of it. This is another long one, so take your time with it. And if you haven't listened to part one of the series, which is the episode before, I recommend you start with Lizette in episode 54. And with that being said, let's get right to it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Richard Miletze. Is Richard your given name or were you, is it a... A, a different name. Right? Yeah. Richard is actually my name, but this was not originally my name. What would you like to be called? Would you... No, I am. I I, I I like to be called Richard. But okay. what happens? The names that my my parents gave me. My name is actually Ndo. That's my. How do you call this? Uh, like the the first given name. The or... first given name. Yeah, yeah. it's Ndo. It's N D O. NDO. And then Ishmael was my Christian, is my Christian name, if I've got to put it that way. Oh, okay. Or the so-called Christian name. But this was given to me by my parents. And for some reason, I don't know why I liked the name Richard. And after high school, I called myself Richard. Okay, so it was, you gave yourself the name Richard. I gave Richard. My, myself the name Richard. Okay. And this is the name that appears in my ID book. In my school certificates, you will never find Richard. All right. Yeah. Well, Richard, welcome to the show. I think that's a great introduction, <laughs> a little introduction to who you are. Yeah. And we're very excited to have you on in this in this chance meeting here in Johannesburg. And I, uh, we, we've been talking for a little bit now, and man, you got got some crazy stories and I can't wait to to share with our listeners your life and what you've been through and just I don't know life in general it seems like you have a, a, a lot of experience and things to share no thank th- thank you for having me and I'm sure the people will enjoy walking with us through this journey. yeah I am not I am not scared at all that yeah. people are going to enjoy this episode yeah. so let's get to it I 
Uh, South Africa, I didn't know much about South Africa before I came. We We don't learn much about even the most recent history here, and it's been a buzzsaw, a slap in the face, hit a brick wall, not only what happened here, but I... The city has so much energy, and it comes from the people, and I'm so excited to be able to sit down with quite a few people and learn not only about what happened here, but where this this country, and the, especially this city, is going to. And I think it comes from leaders like like you, It's, it, and I don't say that lightly, but I, it's fun to see the progress that's made in the city, and it comes from... The people that that have been through one of the darkest situations that I've ever heard of. Yeah, no, um, it's it, it is actually quite true because what happened is South Africa. We, as black people, used to to stay in townships. Yeah, and townships are away from the central business district districts or yeah. where the economy or the economy hub of. of you know, we were excluded from the the mainstream economy of the country. That's why we were put into townships where we've got to travel to come and work into towns and whatever. But in Johannesburg, during the apartheid times, black people were required to have pass books. What is called, I don't know if I will be right to call a reference book a pass book, but it's a book that you needed to carry. And at any time when a policeman stops you and asks you for that, you've got to have it. Otherwise, you're going to be arrested. I'm going to be arrested, and this yes. is with dire consequences, I'm sure. Yeah, not, sure. Not exactly a slap on you, the wrist. You were not supposed to be here. And the pass also used to have stamps. Like, for instance, one stamp, 101C will say, you are allowed to be in Johannesburg because your parents are working in Johannesburg, not because you were born here or whatever. Yeah. 101A, maybe. 101A will say you you were born here and you, you can stay in, 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 in urban areas or whatever. But like 101B, there were restrictions. 101C, you get restrictions. If there was a 101D, because I know I was a 101C, even if I was born, bred, and I grew up in Johannesburg. Yeah. I was told I was supposed to be in, in, in Bukudatswana or wherever. I was not supposed to be You're not here. supposed to be here. And I struggled to get an idea when I started and whatever. It, it seems so complicated. It's just, it feels, it, well, from what I've learned, it's very controlling. They, they The apartheid government yes. wanted to take control. For you to be and, able to work in Johannesburg, you've got to have some qualifications. Yeah. You've got to have a permit. You've got to have this. You've got to be... Otherwise, you're know, you not allowed. You're just you just not allowed won't. to be you, there. You, you are non-existent. You can't stay here. Otherwise, maybe you've got to go work in the farms or whatever. I don't know where nobody will be bothering you. It will just be you and your boss. Yeah. You know? And it didn't even matter. And it seemed... It, you could have been born and raised in Johannesburg, like you said, but they forced you into what is now the infamous townships. Yeah. Which is where you where you grew up. And, I grew up in a township. So it was a township. And Soweto in is the most one of the more famous townships here in Johannesburg. As it is, in actual fact, I, it's, it is made up of many townships, you know, because it's, it's actually so. It just actually stands for South from Western townships. Okay. I I grew up in I was born 
and I grew up in a place called Kadi in Soweto. And I started my school there. My, my, my youth life, my young life was there. I went to primary schools in Kadi. You always hear a lot of stories <clears throat> and rumors about Soweto and the life there. And, but what was it actually like living in, in a township like that? Because I, I don't know. I don't know if I have a reference or any <laughs> idea of what life was like growing up. So you're a kid in a township that's basically forced relocation by the apartheid government. So what, what was going on in the township? What was it like there? I will tell you, township life is very interesting and very dynamic and very, very, you know, it was lovely being there. What's because that? like, for instance, in areas that you stay in, everybody knows everybody. Yeah. And every child is everybody's child. So it's a very close community. Very close community. It's like if you don't have bread, you can go to your neighbor and you will get bread. If you want something, you would get it from there. If anything, you, 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 you become a community child. I know for a fact, me, I will go to school in the morning. And come back. When I come back, I know that maybe in this house there's an old woman, an old lady that doesn't have anybody that helps her or whatever. But I would walk in there and say, Granny, is there something you need from the shops? She needs milk, she needs bread, she needs something. She would give me the money, I would go to the shops, buy that for her and whatever. And then I would say, Can I clean the you know the stoop for you? She would say, Yes, my son, clean the stoop and she would give me five cents or whatever. Yeah, you know, and over the weekend I'll come clean his hair yard and you know do some manual works for her because she couldn't do that for herself. So but if I'm hungry, for... but if I'm hungry, I would walk into the granny's house and open the cabinet, take out the tea, get the bread, slice they have a slice of bread or whatever, and sit down and eat. And that's what it was. Yeah. It was and a very close, close community. community yes. And something very beautiful. It was beautiful. And by then, we growing up, we were not even aware of the state of affairs in South Africa. Like, for instance, we are living under party. To us, it was that, that was life. That was normal. This yeah. is how we're living. Yeah. You know, and then we grew up with that mentality that we belong to this community. These people are our parents. Every elder pers- elderly person was your parent. Yeah. You couldn't do, you couldn't smoke, kiss a girl. You know, Without what, everybody knowing. <laughs> no, no, what I'm saying is if you see in front of the elders, mm-hmm. if you've got to do that, you've got to hide somewhere or do it in the dark or whatever. But that's how, you know, we, we used to the respect that we, we, we grew up with towards the elderly. And every Sunday, everybody would go to church. Well, we had different churches. There was Methodists, Catholics and whatever, but people would go to church and it was a big thing. Only the good, the, 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 the elderly, especially the gentlemen, would go to Shabin's drink over the weekend. And mm-hmm. But this is so way too for you. Now we, during that time from, you know, the 1960s, while I was, when we were born and until we grew up to the, the, the late 60s, 70s. I, I, for, 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 for myself, I wasn't aware about the state of affairs, of affairs in South Africa as far as politics is, is, politics is concerned. I thought this is our lives and this is what we... we it's just the way it is, yeah, right? that's how it is. Yeah. Until when I was in secondary school. 
Because even the education that we were fed, the education that we were taught, for us, it made the life that we we were living normal. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Whatever we we experienced or the way we were living, it was normal. We were supposed to stay there in the location and not come and bother the wives in, in, in the suburbs. They stayed there, that's their lives. And for us, that was normal. Yeah. Until in 19... 76, I was in grade 8 from 2, then I, then I won't that's the only date that I know, I remember <laughs> well, even if I, I'm not a date person mm-hmm. the school that I attended, I still remember 76 didn't start, I mean the, the riots didn't actually start on the 16th mm-hmm. they started the Friday before the 16th was, was a Wednesday but before we get to the riots, I kind of want to hold this story off for, because I really want the listeners to get to know you a little bit more too. Oh, okay. And just and speaking of school, though, I mean, you were a class student. From what you were saying, you were, you were blowing through standards and grades like no one's business. You were you had six months. You weren't even waiting a year. You were going off and getting promoted to the next. Yeah, thing. some some classes. Yes, I didn't. You know, I was like after six months, I would say okay, but that was in primary mostly. They would say to me, okay, you are instant two, no, you don't have to do stand two, you've got to go to to stand three, you know, and and all that stuff. Was it just easy for you, or did did you just get school? Did you you love to learn? What what was it that made you just escalate so quickly? I wasn't even aware what was happening. You know, for me, it was like, uh, it's school, you know. You get promoted, you get home, you say, no, they say, I'm going to do stand three. In, in June, yeah. and the people get excited. I wasn't even aware what was happening. You're like, okay, people yeah, are excited. So, yeah. I must be doing pretty well. Yeah. There must be something. If, if this makes, you know, my granny, because I grew, I grew up under, under my, 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 my grandparents. You mm-hmm. know, if my grandparents and the neighbors are happy, then that means, <laughs> yeah, that means I must be doing something good, you know. Yeah, so you're just flying. Yeah. You're just flying through these grades. This is the story I was telling you, you know, off the record, about the principal came, came you know, coming up with a cane at that same And you have to tell this story, too, because this is pretty good. Because what <laughs> happened on that on that occasion, uh, we wrote the, the test, I'm sure, in, in November. I was in grade five. And then, you know, by the time we wrote our December, our... December uh, exams and the schools closing, you had already forgotten about the IQ tests and whatever, and you didn't know the significance of why why must we write this IQ test and whatever to do yeah, test or whatever. Yeah, it was you just another test. test and, the next thing. Yeah. yeah. And then when the schools opened in January, because we had already received our reports, our standard five reports then, mm-hmm. And I had passed, okay, fine. That means I'm going to stand at six the following year. I'm happy, okay. And everybody's happy at home. All right, fine. January, when the schools open, we went to assembly. I remember I was short, a bit short, the youngest. And I was standing <laughs> at the back because I've got this big base. And assembly, that's where we pray. And before we pray, we'd sing hymns and whatever. So. Is this the whole school too? The whole school, the whole yes, school the is whole there. school. Okay. A thousand, um, a thousand plus of all the, the so a thousand students. plus yeah. students are yeah, sitting maybe here. Maybe about a thousand two hundred in 
in a 10, 10 classroom school. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, there will be about 100 and something in one class or something. Wow. Yeah. So in any case, we were there and this principal came. He had a cane in his hand. And everybody knew once the principal has a cane. Because he wasn't afraid to use it. He probably used it quite often. Yes. yes. <laughs> By then, corporal punishment was allowed. Yes. Yeah. Not like now. Now they say it's not allowed. But then we we used to get hit. We used to get it. Yeah. You don't you don't screw around. Yeah. No. In we school because the cane it. you get yeah, the cane. Sure. sure. And yeah. discipline was there. Yeah. So what happened is uh, the principal came and just said, "When I call your name, you must come in front." Uh, it was this. Kind of principal who doesn't smile, <laughs> you know, he's serious. So stone face, yeah, and cane in hand. And, and I call him, he was coming from. Take this paper and say, Richard, Ishmael Melaze. So you were the first name, the first name, and I'm standing <laughs> at the back, and I started shivering and said, What have I done now? This is a this is a any kid's nightmare. You're in front of the entire school. Your principal's got a cane. He's angry. And he reads your name first. And I was never <laughs> caned by the principal. I was, I've never, I only walked to the principal's office when I was sent by the, by the teacher to go take something into his office or to fetch something. Yeah. The principal didn't know me. I was <laughs> Which just, is a good thing. Yeah, it was a good thing. <laughs> you know, and then I went up there and then I stood in front and my Trouser was shaking and because of snow, yeah. And the first day of school, for that matter. Oh my goodness! Okay, great. And then he called the fourteen of us. The other thirteen students came up front, and only after he called the fourteenth student, and then he started smiling. <laughs> then he said, "You see, all these children that are in front of you today, they've done well." And they're getting promoted too. <laughs> so that was like a big... Oh, what what was going on in your head when you said that? Did it even you register? Know, I, I go, I, but then, you must remember, I, I said I didn't understand a lot of things. But by then I could understand the importance of being promoted. That means I have done so excellently. I've done well. And that means I'm, you know... You're moving Yeah, up. I'm leaving some of my classmates and whatever. Mm. So I've done something good. No. Because I'm going to another school, I'm going to a higher, to to a secondary school. To me, it was like, yeah, no, I am there, you know. Yeah. So that was a big relief. Yeah, oh, you know, when the principal took his cane and threw it away, and then started <laughs> saying, "I was like, yeah, yeah." He probably did that on purpose. He knew what he was I doing. Think so. he <laughs> I think scare so. all the good kids <laughs> for the first time getting in trouble. Yeah. So you were you were a good kid growing up. You got the grades. You're moving up. And then you also really got into acting. It seems like that was a big passion of yours. I got into acting. What actually got me interested into acting? The one teacher at secondary, Mr. Nzonza, he wrote a script. And then he chose some of the students to come and act on on the script. We were supposed to go on a trip or something. And then he wrote the script. No, no, no. He just wrote it for, you know, for him and the students or whatever. It was, we, we, there was no trip whatsoever then. But when the students started rehearsing, I, had, I got 
to hear about the, 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 the cast. Mm-hmm. And then I said, I must be in there. Because I, I felt I, I, I liked acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked acting. And then I went in there and I told them, Mom, I need a part. I say, but, you know, we don't have a part. I say, no, there must be. You've got to do something. You've got to have a part and yeah, it's sure. going to be mine. Yeah. And then he said, okay, we're going to cast you as a, as a Shebin owner. And that's, a, that's like a bar. That, yeah. That's a, a, a tavern, you yeah. know, where guys come sit, drink with uh, girlfriends and, you know, a lot of stuff goes on. In there. Yeah, so you were cast as the bar owner. Yeah. Yeah. And I would sing, I remember I used to sing uh, one of Brick Benton's songs, Let Us All Get Together. Yeah, okay. With all the cast, but you know, it's it's a lively show. Like we all dancing and singing, and uh, it was nice. You know, let us all get together mm-hmm. with the Lord. Nice, and then it went on. We performed in in some areas. You know, it was nice. But then I started. You know, I loved acting. It, it was into me. And then I met this one guy. His name is Kenny. And he introduced me to open school. We were going to under take a trip to Petersburg or something. Yeah. And for some other reason, we were going to spend a night there. So some of the students decided to say, no, okay, we will form a cast and we will act at night, you know, just to keep the students busy or something. And I heard of it that there is a cast and there's people acting and whatever. Yeah. And by then I was I was with open school. So I, I I had this broad picture of acting. Yeah. So because these people didn't want the other students to see what they were doing, they wanted to the people to see when they start they perform. You know, they used to close the windows with black plastic black refuse plastics. So that nobody could see what was happening in the classroom. Really? Okay. And this was a, a community that came up. No, no, it was the school. Oh, it was actually No, it, the other students, the one, the ones that were not in the cast, were not supposed to see what these people, their heads are, actually. Oh, to like steal their ideas yeah. or? Yeah, I don't know for some reason. <laughs> but I weird. went there and then I said, uh, look, I am this kind of a guy. I'm attending this drama and music classes and whatever. I might help you. Can I come in? They said, yeah, come in. So I went there and I could find, oh, there was a lot of faults with how they were conducting themselves and trying to act and whatever because acting, you must be able to, if you are on stage, you must captivate your your audience. Yeah. You've got to eat out of your hands. You've got to have them here yeah. within your, your, your class. Yeah. Then you must know that you you will know then that you are doing something right. Yeah. But once you are on stage and everybody start talking or there's noise or there's you know conversation with people, you must know you're not you're doing something wrong. Yeah. So I went and then started giving them ideas and whatever. But because they didn't, they knew nothing about acting. Yeah. They were just trying to learn as they went. Yeah. Sort of thing. And yeah. Said, no, but you know so much, you should be in the play. Yeah. I said, no, I don't want to, in, to, to infringe on you or to take anybody's part. Yeah. I'm just here to help. And then they said, no, but we please be, you know, come and be part of it. 
I say doing what? Because every part, I can show everybody exactly what to do. If they say you play an old man's part, I can show you how to be an old man. Old mm. man you know, because you've got to feel the pain. Your knees must be painful. Your your your, your ankles, your back must be bent. You must feel that pain. You and must know. That yeah, you must know. You must man. be an old man. That's, yeah. You know, your voice must be, you know. Shaky. And, and, yeah. Mm. You must be an old man. Your face, you must have wrinkles. You've got to act the part. Be there. Be there. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is the stuff that I used to tell them. And they say, no, please, please, please. I said, okay, what am I going to do? They say, yeah, but you can do this and whatever. So, okay, I'll see what I can. And on the Friday, they organized the hall. There was a, a community hall just next to the school. And Tokozoini Hall. A community center. So they organized all for us to go and perform because everybody was now there is a custom school and everybody wanted to see what was happening because they blacked out the windows, what's going on in there. So everybody I was curious, they wanted to know we want to see the play, we want to see the play, you know. Yeah. And then they organized the hall. And yeah, the hall was full to the rafters. The show started, we started singing and whatever and whatever. But it was like, the wall is so full, it's so hot, and people are making noise and whatever. And my part, like I say, it was towards the end of the play. Yeah. And when I was about to go in, I started a song from the backstage. And I sang the song. The reason was to capture the attention. You know, everybody should now focus. I am coming to the stage. That I'm a type of... <laughs> and I started a song and everybody was like, ah. and I could feel that. Mm-hmm. And I went in. And as I got into the stage, because now we, I remember the old man part, I was an old man, yes. And the person that I was supposed to have a dialogue with, with you know, I was so convincing that she couldn't say her... She couldn't say her lines. Yeah. She was talking to an old man, yeah, and she, she thought she, she was she got, in a place. She, she got, you know, dumbfounded. Yeah, and she she was to be taken off stage. Oh my goodness! I had to improvise and carry on as that being part of. The so what do you? What would you do in that situation? So now you got to act so, fast and be convincing. Yeah, you, you you gotta do something so that you don't break the 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 the, the flow of of the show. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, you've got to improve. You've got to come up with something. Do you know what you said? Do you know what you did? Do you I'm remember? not so sure what happened, but I said something to an extent. And by then, you must know, the attention is, yeah, I've got my audience yeah. know, eating out of the palms of my hands. And you can't let that go. Yeah, I know. I know for a fact I've nailed it because the hall was, like, quiet. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I can't remember what I said, but I did some crazy stuff. And, yeah, and then from there... Somebody came in and the dialogue went on and on and then from there I was off stage and my part ended there. Mm-hmm. It was just a, a, a you know a brief part like. But, but I'm man, telling you, you take over. Yeah, I'm telling you. After that, a lot of people came by. There were a lot of of of, of this uh, cast. We used to call them casts. You know, you know, some people used to compete with it. That was during the 1976 you know, the uprisings and all that, because 
some students couldn't go to school, you know, they were, so people were keeping themselves busy by relating stories, and this, this was one form of telling stories. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them were, were political, some, some of them were trying to be political. Yeah. Some of them were just personal stories, some of them were, you know, imaginative stories or something of the sort, but it was good because you go to anywhere, it's, it's, an, it's, it's our uh, 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 location, it was, it, it was our community stories, it was the stories that we can, we can relate to. Yeah, there's something really beautiful about that. In it the was hard nice. Times. It was beautiful. Yeah, it's during the, those it's times. through a hard time and yeah. falling back to art and yeah, it, reaffirming it, your community through the stories of the community is there's something beautiful. About it was that. beautiful, and that's what this community, this acting community, was about. That's what people wanted too, maybe. And a lot of people came that. came into acting during that time. Yeah. We we got a lot of good actors, even musicians. And writers, you know, people, some of them discovered that, but I can, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Some of them discovered, but I'm a good actor and all that, yeah. And, okay, so I guess to wrap up the acting and segment acting. of your life, yeah, so you got to tell the one-man show story. Yeah, before, before we, leave, we, we wrap up, a friend of mine, let me start by, by telling how this came by. We used to, to sit in my friend's uh, brother's smashed-up car. Mm-hmm. In the evening, we'll sit there and smoke cigarettes and all that, you know, because, like I was saying, in the location, anything that you do that you know the elders don't like, you have to hide. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you go to hide. So that's where we used to sit. And it was and your smoke. friend's brother's car that had an accident. Yeah. And then was inoperable. Like, yeah, it, it, there was nothing happening there. And he so that was the hideout. That yeah, was the treehouse, basically. It was the treehouse. Please, the way. So we used to sit in there and came up with this idea that why won't we do something constructive? Like I can, I did music and drama. I can start a group. Something to do, yeah. Constructive. Yeah, you know, like something, something to get the kids, the the the, the youth active. Yeah. You know, to keep them active. And then I started this group, and then we called it Afro Spandoiki. Spandoiki meaning it's like a shack because it started off in a in a, in a car. car, in a yeah. smashed up car. <laughs> and we used to call it that we used to call that car Spandoiki. And I called the group Afro African Spandwick, so we just called it Afro Spandwicky. Yeah. Taught drama, acting, you know, theater, stage acting. And uh, weekends, especially Saturdays afternoon, we would go to the suburbs to to the white, white, white suburbs, where we we would go and perform for the domestic workers, the gardeners, because these people used to stay in their employers' mm-hmm. backyards. Yeah. Okay. And when they are off, like Saturdays and Sundays, they've got nothing to do, and they, they there was. I mean, there was no, TV, no form of no entertainment phones, for them. There's yeah. none of these electronics we have. There's, no, there were no yeah. cell phones. They were they were they will just sit. Maybe the stock file. They will attend stock file. Talk about burial societies and yeah, you know maybe form a church or something just to keep themselves busy. Yeah, you know. So yeah, the Lions Club organized this uh, entertainment for them, and we became part of it. And all that they had to do for us to send a bus. On a Saturday afternoon, 
because they had organized a tea party for the domestic workers in one of the churches. Mm-hmm. And they would send the bus to come fetch us. We would go there and perform for the domestic workers. Yeah. You know, just to keep them entertained. Was this the group's first performance too? Yes, I would say yes, it was. That's mostly what we used to do. Okay. We performed for the, for, 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 for the domestic workers. But it was great because we used to share stages with, uh, Lawrence Dube who is one of the greatest uh, uh, gospel musicians in South Africa. Wow, okay. Pastor Lawrence Dube. And then we shared a stage at one stage with Emilio Njikantu Choir. Which was what you were saying. uh, Yeah. It became the national choir. Yeah, it became like a national choir because it it performed in most of the national events. So you got like a star-studded lineup. It's not only your first performance. Yeah, but to me it was like, you know, it was. It meant nothing to me. It was just another day, just another event. Which there was, was a no perfect the, setup for the end of the story, for the punchline of the story. Yeah, yeah. But to you, it meant nothing. Yeah, it, it didn't, it, I didn't see the significance of of you know sharing the stage with this grades and all that. You know. Yeah. Because I remember our first performance with this Afrospandoiki, the cast that I had got stage fright. Yeah, so all of your friends got stage fright. Yeah, because I <laughs> said, okay, are ideas. you ready? Are you ready? Everyone said, yeah, but you could see everybody's like, yeah, I don't know, you know, but Jimmy, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. But I said, okay, one, two, three, let's sing. And everybody couldn't sing. Nobody could sing. And I said, nah, this is now terrible. And this is the time that we are allocated. This is our slot. Afrospandoki has to go on stage. Yeah, and now something has to be done. And maybe that national choir just got off and had a great yeah, performance, you know, and, and now it's your turn. Grace, now it's and this is a off, you know, you 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 just setting everybody off. Yeah, after a great performance, and then you 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 know you come with this non-performance or something that is just not working. So I had to do something as the leader of the group. Yeah, so I just took an overcoat, a week or, you know, I don't know, I just took whatever I could grab from one of the props and the attire that we have. Yeah. And I became an old man and I went on stage and I took a chair and I started turning, you know, the normal uh, 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 township jokes and, but acting them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's perfect, though, because the domestic workers are cut off from that world, so they may may not know the jokes. They might, they or... might have heard the jokes, you know, a long time while they were still growing, because these are old jokes. We grow up, you know, we go from one generation to the other. Yeah. And I started performing them and telling them, and, you know, and people started laughing and falling in the wall, and it was, like, hectic. And I was, like, enjoying myself. To me, this is normal, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, um, yeah, I I went on and on and on. And, yeah, eventually I closed up, introduced myself, and people, you know, gave me a standing ovation, and they clapped and clapped. They couldn't. And so this, I, I love talking and hearing you talk about this because I see the passion and you, you yeah. loved acting. You th- that was a great part of your life. Yeah, and I think what's most interesting for me is it was also this thing that's happening 
And can can we tell the story about the uprisings? Because that was going on. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. You can. Okay. We can go back there. Because that that was right during this time of acting. Acting. Yes. It was the acting part. This acting came after. It came after. Before and after. Let me put it that way. Because what happened? 1976. Like I was saying, I was in form two. Six grade. Eight. I, I'm not so sure how but this Somewhere is. in the middle yeah, school. Yeah, middle school, you can put it that yeah. way. What happened is, the school that I was attending, that was Thomas Mufolo, on a Friday, there was an altercation between one of the teacher, Mr. Nzonza, and the principal, Dr. Mohapi. Our principal was a doctor, Dr. Mohapi. Whereby... There was a fight. I don't know what the fight. I still remember I was punished then because I was, we were made to, to do agriculture in Africans. It was called Lanbo. And, and we used to do, you know, all this subject. Now it's in Africans. And mind you, Africans for us, it was a bit difficult, and especially it's moving away. Different. You know, yeah. A, especially from us, the people that we, we did our subjects in English, and suddenly you are told, like, tomorrow, you want to do the same subject in Africans. And did you know any Africans? Africans was one of the languages that we, we, we were learning, but, you know, it was just a subject. Know? Yeah, it was just a subject. Yeah, you don't have to language. Yeah. learn complex subjects you know, in a new language. 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 Yeah. So, yeah, that was it. And Mr. Nzonza fought with the principal. I don't do it, one teacher. I wasn't, I was not into politics then. I, I didn't understand a lot of things. <clears throat> but come the Wednesday of the 16th, June 76, I was punished for not doing a landbow homework. I was made to use a circle, I don't know if you, you know, to cut the grass in the schoolyard with the circle. You know? And I was busy doing that because that was my discipline. And from there I could hear there was a noise from the direction of Tabo Secondary. Because another secondary just up from where we are. And there was high school on the other side, Naledi High. You could hear there's a lot of commotion from that direction, you know, but I didn't understand what's happening. And then while we, I was cutting that grass and whatever, there was a lot of students coming by singing and, you know, I can tell you they just came, took a round in our school, you know, they just, so we joined the protest. That's then we understood. And that's what it was. It was a protest. It was a protest against the, the usage of Africans as medium of instruction. We didn't want that. So we went from one school to the other, collecting all the students, and we all went to Maletzano. We all went away. You know, we went, went, until we get to a point in Dube. And the Morris Isaacson students were coming from the direction of Dube Station. And these streets were coming... The, the, the two the two streets were converging like this. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, like that. They were gonna meet there. And I'm telling you, I don't know how these people planned this, whether this was planned or it was a coincidence. But we got there at almost the same time. So these the two, two groups. groups of there was a lot, a lot of students. Yeah. We were a lot 
too much. Yeah. That way, you know, it was just gray and white, black and white, just school uniform. Yeah. Of three different S- major secondary no. schools, right? Or even more. All the schools in Soweto. Every single school in Soweto. Every school. The Moses Isaacson group collect were going from one school to the other on the other side. And the Lady High students were going from the other side. So when we came to that part of of Soweto. You all met at the same time. It was it was something I don't know, you know, it gave me my, my head rose, you know, I was yeah, it was something that I've I've never seen so many students in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, even before then, when we were passing Mufolo, there's a there, there, there's a park we, we call it Mufolo Park. That's the first time we, we tasted tear gas. You know, the police started came coming by and then they started shooting tear gas towards us. And there was no negotiation. We were, no, we didn't know. We knew nothing. This was our first protest, the first experience of us, the, the, the students then. Yeah. You know, yeah. And these people started shooting this tear gas and we started getting teary and whatever, getting, you know. Nasty stuff. Yeah, yeah nasty stuff and whatever. And people started getting allergies and some of them, the skin was itching and... Yeah, and all that. Yes. But you know, as students, we always say, "Where the smoke, there must be fire." And if you've got water, you can, you can <laughs> put out, put out the fire. Yeah. Yeah. So we we got the, the water, and once the tear gas lands here, we pour water. And some of the people said, "But you can neutralize this uh, smoke, the tear, the tear smoke, with burning paper." Like for instance, once the tear gas lands here, and then you burn this paper. Yeah, it neutralizes the effect of of the tears, and it worked. And it worked. Yes. So this is how people. Happening. Yeah, it's so happening like, like, like what, now. What are you? What are you are yeah. people just running like by? Like yes, burn the paper. Paper. And paper. Tear gases are coming. Yeah. This is your first protest, and you're with like all this. The first time. This is a huge endeavor, and, and people like what? What is happening in in your head? Are you just like okay, we're on a mission? Was it chaos? Yeah, you, we, what, what was happening in my mind? It was Africans strong effect. Okay, we, we protest, we, you know, there was this, uh, individual protest, but no, say, but we can't, you can't do this to us. It's, yeah. it's not me. It's, and by then, even the teachers were not well equipped to teach those, Af- those uh, subjects in Africans. Yeah. How could they, 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 they actually went to college, learned to teach in English. And suddenly, the, the departments tells them they've got to teach in Africans. Yeah. So where are we going to get the 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 the, 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 the teachers from? Yeah. We can actually teach those subjects in Africans. You know, it was like uh, education. The black education in South Africa was being killed. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that was the point. Yeah. So in any case, we went through, and then we met at Mube um, Drive. There was a lot of students. A lot. And we marched on. And I can tell you then, we didn't know the freedom songs. Yeah. But we would sing the freedom songs. Yeah. How we knew them, I don't know. But we learned, we just, we just learned along the way. Yeah, the way <laughs> yeah. The yeah but we point. sang. And, you know, and look, this was a peaceful march. Yeah. Nothing was destroyed then as we moved along. And then as we, we got to Dube, we went over to um, Pefeni. 
we got to Pefen Station, and just when we were about to turn at Uncle Tom's Hall, the police were standing at the bridge in Orlando. We could we could actually see them from where we were, and then we stopped. And CHC machine started. This machine was student was a student leader. And he led that match, actually. And then he started addressing the students to say, we are going forward. And these people had actually, the police had actually closed the road for us to go. But we said we are going forward. And what was going on in your head? So you see this police, they're probably well it was, armed in riot gear. And, it, you know, it, there's a lot of danger in that, obviously. There was a lot of danger. It was overwhelming, but... There was this thing in me to say, this is the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, this has to happen. And then only, you know, your mind opens up to a lot of things. Like, for instance, why must we start learning the content subjects in, in Africans? Why must Africans be this? Now, you know, as you go along and you're talking to the people in the match, just then you, you start understanding what is actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's just firing you up. Yeah, while we were there, the police came from behind and then they started shooting. Left arm. That's where Hector Peterson was shot. That's where Hector Peterson was shot. Yeah. And they killed one. They killed a student. They killed they killed Hector Peterson there. On a peaceful march. It was a peaceful march, but after that, that's where all hell broke loose. Because everyone was just running, trying to escape because we were being shot with live um, uh, uh, ammunition. Yeah. Killing. They were killing us in actual fact. So we started running from one point to the other. I know for a fact I saw one guy being killed. I think his name was... He was driving a, a TB van. We used to have a TB tuberculosis that, you know, a mobile tuberculosis van that used to go to schools and whatever to check us if we've got tuberculosis and whatever. Mm-hmm. I think his surname was Edelstein or something, you know, when we read in the newspapers later. But it was, uh, yeah, killed and put in a dustbin. You saw that? Yeah. And this was just because you wanted to see because something. Because these people, the police, were shooting at us. And then we started retaliating. And from there, because now we can't go forward, these people are now shooting at us. Yeah. We were now going back to where we came from, back to our locations, back home. That's then so way to started burning. We started burning every municipality building, anything that has to do with municipality started yeah. burning. From there on, and so it was on fire. That was June 16, 1976. And I can't, I can't even, you know, it's so hard to wrap my head around a situation like that. I have no reference point to even begin thinking about the horrors of that day and the things that you've seen where people that you know are dying just because they wanted to say that something's not fair. And obviously it was not fair. It was and the up. people that were implementing that were also aware that this is not fair. Yeah. They just wanted to make the black people's life. And they didn't want to negotiate. No, it was, it was it an was instruction. Yeah. It was an instruction. But in any case... 
okay, it was June 6th. And that's then we started understanding the politics of South Africa. Yeah. That we are black and there are white people that are privileged. Not, that, that those people are not like us. And, and then, you know, we started asking ourselves questions. Yes. Questions like, why am I staying in Soweto? And why are these people staying in the suburbs? Why is the place that I'm staying in is so dirty? And why is their place so clean? Why are they rich and why am I, why are we poor? Are they superior to us? Do they think better than us? Do they have superior mind? What's wrong with us? And by then there was black consciousness going around. ANC was active. There was, uh, South African Student Organization. You know, there was a lot of information coming through towards us. Yeah. You know, and then we started understanding the dynamics. We started understanding the situation of, of, of South Africa. And I think I think what gets me the most, and I think this was, is a good way to sort of wrap up the show, because mm-hmm. I think this is quite powerful. And what a lot of people don't see, especially, I mean... I'm a white person, and in America, there is this wealth and divide and stuff. I was middle class, mm. and I didn't, I didn't have this awakening moment either. But when you look at people, like the oppression of people, and I'm talking to a guy that, I mean, an ama- obviously an amazing actor, mm-hmm. loved, loved acting, yeah. was brilliant in school, and here you are marching with every other student in Soweto that probably has a similar background to you. Maybe you really enjoyed um, acting too, or Mm. math, and science, or language and literature. And, you know, like each person had their own strengths, weaknesses, and are like their own person. And here's someone telling you that you can't, not only you can't do that, we're going to kill you. For yeah, we're, we're going to make it, we're going to make it difficult for you to. Not only that, we're going to shoot you for saying something. Yeah. For saying that you're equal to us or it's just, and for me, it, 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 I don't have that reference point. So I guess my, my final question for you to wrap up the show is you started to realize and ask yourself questions and the community started asking these questions mm. of, and it seems like such a big problem because here's these guys that have guns, you know, and Damn. money mm-hmm. and stuff. And how do you stand up? How did you stand up and face that? How did you stand up every day and say, I'm going to fight for this, even though we're severe. They, They've they got they live ammunition and whatever. Because there were soldiers even. Yeah. They brought the soldiers into location. How did you... St- Every day, stand up in the face and resist that to the point stones. where you won, like you guys won. We used stones to fight these people. Stones. I would say this more mostly the support is what you need. You know, it might be internal or external support, but some form of support is what, is what was needed then. Because on our own, if this was a, a South African, like for instance, a black and white thing, or the state against the people thing, the state could have just killed everybody. 
You know, it could have just been, these people are just irritants. You know, you're going to kill them because they had the means. Yeah. You know. And the, the international community played a very big role, a, a big role in, in, in actual fact to bring down the apartheid, uh, what you call it. Because Wade was out there to say what you're doing is wrong. And it was piece by piece yeah. by piece yeah. by piece. No matter how much you had to get for each piece, and then, it was slowly, slowly... Yeah, it was dismantling, shipping. dismantling until FW declared, announced that he's releasing Mandela. It was not about Mandela. This started, as you remember, like I said, it started as a fight against Africans being the medium of instruction. That's what that's what we know as students then. And then as it go forward, we knew about Mandela. We knew about apartheid. And then we started learning about the history of ANC, the OR Tambos and everybody, you know. And then, you know, we started knowing what was happening around us. And we saw this as a just cause to fight for. And then we gave, we saw, we, we sort of gave our lives to it. They can do whatever they, if I die, I will be dying for a good cause. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so every youth in Soweto was like, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was to the cause. Yeah. It was, that's what it was about. It was about that. I think that might be, the perfect way to wrap up the show because okay. that's, that's I think there's very few moments in people's lives that especially nowadays where someone is willing to lay their life on the line for a cause mm. it's, it's not very common anymore I think once once you learn what's happening and have something worth fighting for then anything can happen yeah, people were, were, were prepared. In fact, we were prepared to lay our lives down for, for this cause, yeah. for a black man to, to have his, yeah. his space in his country, you know? And the idea or the thing was not to kill the white people, but give us space also. Yeah. Let us live because by then we were being suffocated. We were being put in a corner and saying we couldn't breathe, we couldn't expand. Very few people could become lawyers, doctors and whatever in black communities because yeah. there were no means. Yeah. We didn't have means. It's not like we chose to be what we are. In any case, like I was saying, I, I, I'm not going to blame anybody. I, we, we all played our part in one way or another. Yeah. Until Nelson, Nelson Mandela was was released and uh, political parties were unbanned and then there was uh, the black people got their franchises we could vote and all that because basically that's what we were fighting for yeah and some of us have said after that we have done our bit we've got what we want no more politics yeah yeah you know, Richard, I, I really appreciate you <laughs> coming on the show and, and saying all this. I know some of it might not not be easy, but I, I I admire your courage in standing in the face of... Yeah, it gives me a lot to think about, especially as I continue my trip around the world and try to yeah. learn more from it. And 
I know our listeners will get a lot from that. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. All right. Your, no, your you're welcome. History. I wish we had more time to steal some more stories. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe next time when you come, you come by. Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World Radio. And thanks again, Richard Melente, for coming on the show. Keep up to date on everything going on in the Big Sabbatical on Instagram at Nathan.Wanders and the blog of my partner in crime, Jackie Gishbacher at gishoutofwater.com. Check out the links in the show description for more information. Special thanks to Charlie Milliken for all of the Oyster Jams. Check them out on Spotify or at charliemilliken.com. That's M-I-L-L-I-K-I-N. Don't forget to support the show on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N at patreon.com forward slash Oyster World Radio. For only $5 a month, you get all of the behind the scenes plus some unique travel tips, so don't miss out. Thanks again for tuning in to Oyster World Radio. We'll be back in two weeks, but until then, this is Nathan Lieberman. Signing off. I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars And thinking about all time that's gone by It's time for a change In my day-to-day scene Time to turn around